good morning again. And we've been starting to go through the book of John, the gospel according to John. And last week, you got to see the first of two declarations that the Apostle John makes in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Last week, the first declaration is that the Word is eternal, right? That the Word is eternal. The Word of God is eternal. Now, we know from verse 14 of John chapter 1, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the eternal Word of God. So that's what we, John's first declaration last week. And we dealt with Jesus being eternal, Jesus being God, Jesus being with God, the Father, and God the Holy Spirit from all eternity. Well, John continues, and he's going to declare this morning that Jesus Christ, or he's going to declare that the Word is the creator of all things. Jesus is the creator of of all things. John's second declaration. As many of you know, or some of you know at least, I like to stargaze. Now, I don't know the constellations, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy them. And one of the things that we were able to do when we went on our vacation a couple weeks ago is as we went up to the southern Flinders Ranges, just a beautiful, beautiful sky. You know, no, no street lights to, to mar the, the beauty of God's creation. There was actually worked out perfect. There was no moonlight. So all you could see is the stars. And it's beautiful for me, who, who, someone who's grown up in the northern hemisphere, to, to see a, a night sky that is totally different. You know, it, it's, it, it really impresses upon my heart uh, just wonder to, to think that I grew up looking at a night sky and now I'm seeing one that's very different. Uh, and so I really enjoy that. But as I, as I looked at the night sky and as I, as I thought about this, I, I remember remarking to Beth, I said, it reminds me of Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Later on in that same psalm, the, the psalmist says that even though the stars make no sound, the declaration of God's glory goes out to the whole earth. You see, mankind has longed, longed to understand his place in this world. Where did we come from? What's the meaning and purpose of life? What is the ultimate goal or end of mankind? And how you answer these questions determine what in your life really has meaning and significance. You see, there are many different creation stories that man has come up with over the years that try to answer these fundamental questions about his existence. And really, up until the 19th century, these creation stories were supernatural in their essence. They believed that mankind, mankind came from a, a great spirit or a chaotic element or a Lagos cause. There was some supernatural force behind and directing events. But we live in a modern age where modern man scoffs at the supernatural. Said that man lives and ends in a closed universe in which natural laws govern all. 
theory of evolution by natural selection was first proposed by Charles Darwin and Alfred Russell Wallace in the late 19th century and has since become the dominant view in our world to explain the origin of all things. It's a theory that does not allow for the supernatural. After all, it's called evolution by natural selection. What is the Christian? What are we to make of this theory? Is it compatible with the biblical accounts? Are the theory of evolution and the biblical account of creation mutually exclusive? Well, we'll look at this question today. Because if you undermine the certainty of a created universe, you undermine the argument for the existence of God. If you do away with a creation, you do away with a creator. And if you don't have a creator, then you aren't bound to obey him. And so we're going to look further at this today in John chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And we're, we're going to see not only that Jesus is the eternal word of God, but Jesus is the creator of all things. We're going to look at how he's the mediator of creation in verses 2 and 3, and that he is light and life of the world in verses 4 and 5. So let's go ahead and look down at the text, and I'm going to just read verses 1 through 5 this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So John has already said that we have in the beginning, in the beginning what? The Word was with God. In the beginning, before there was time, before there was history, before there was anything, there was the Godhead was eternal. They existed in eternity past. Jesus Christ is pre-existent and He's eternal. And the Bible says here, John says here, that it is through Him that all things came into being. Through Him. You see, He is the, the mediator of creation. When you, when you think about the Godhead, and theologians have used different terms to describe the different works, the different aspects of the Godhead. And one of these terms they call the economic trinity. Now, the economic trinity describes the different roles among the Godhead. Okay? If you think about it in salvation, this is a great way to look at it. Salvation, it was the Father's love and election in salvation. It was the Son's death and resurrection. Is the Spirit's regeneration and seal. All three aspects, all, excuse me, all three persons of the Trinity are involved in salvation. They all have different roles. They're equal to each other, right? When creation, we know that, that they, there's different roles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, Yet for us, this is Paul, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him. And there's one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. 
So creation, the thought originated from the Father. Paul says that there is one God and Father from whom are all things. From is the preposition ek, means out of. The source was the Father. It's his thought, his idea. You want to call him the architect of creation. And then we know that the Son is the Son that, that mediated the creation. Right? It was through or by Him, by Jesus Christ, are all things. You see, the Son is like the supervisor, making sure everything gets done. And, and then the work of creation itself is executed by the Spirit. And we see this in Genesis 1-2 where the Spirit hovered over the waters. And so we see Jesus Christ, we see this, that He's the mediator of creation, that, that it's through Him that all things were created. You see, when we think about this, we think about the fact that, that each aspect of the Trinity was involved in creation. John's point here, as he's trying to, to focus our attention, is that the Word of God was means by which creation came into existence. It was through Him. And if creation came into existence through Him, He must be what? Must be God. Right? Pretty simple. But you got to remember the Jews, this was just a Jew, Jewish audience for John. They would have read this and they would have been like, whoa, wait a second. Jesus, is, the Word is eternal? The Word is the Creator? Shocking for them. It was a stumbling block. What, Jesus is God? But not only is it through Him, it says all things came into being. And when you think about all things in verse 3, all things, there were no pre-existent materials. There was no matter. There's no energy. There's no life. There's no light. There's nothing but God. And so all things were created by Him. Everything. From the littlest molecule. As we get our, our super uh, macro or super micro telescopes out, you know, and our telescopes, microscopes, and we, we look at the, the smallest particles, these electron microscopes, and we see, you know, even, even they're, they're starting to see them down to the quantum realm, and we see that, that irreducible complexity, even the smallest molecules were created by Christ. Peter even references this in 2 Peter when he, he says that the return of Christ and we have the, the recreation of everything, the elements themselves will fly apart in a cataclysmic explosion and everything will be recreated. But for the smallest molecules, the smallest atoms were created, but the largest planets, so in a micro level and a macro level, everything was created through Jesus Christ. When you, we see, uh, I was reading about how the December 21st, the planets are going to align. Saturn and, uh, I believe it's Saturn and Jupiter are going to align in, in a perfect alignment. So you go outside on the, on the winter, well, it's not winter, it's the summer solstice here in the southern hemisphere. You go outside and you look at night, it's going to look like one bright star without a telescope because two planets are so close together they're, they're, that to our visual eye, to the, the visual eye, it's, it's just one bright star. Those planets were created by God, by Christ. So you have everything 
everything came into being. And this is the thing. If you look at verse 3, notice how many times John says came into being. He says it three times. You, you couldn't ask for more emphasis or emphasis, right? Came into being. It came into being. It come into being. He's emphasizing that, that it came into being because it was spoke into existence. Now, I think it's appropriate because we're, we're not predominantly Jewish, and we didn't grow up, most of us, learning the biblical accounts. So I'd like with you, if you will, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 1. Because for the Jewish audience of John's day, they would have been very familiar with this. Right? They would have already rejected the, the Greek pagan origin stories, and there was no theory of evolution by natural selection. They would have readily accepted the Genesis account. I think it's appropriate that we read through this. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And He called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let, the, let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and He separated the waters which were below the expanse, from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetations, plants yielding seed after their kind and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning a third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let it be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And he made the stars also. And God placed them in the expanse of the heaven to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. 
Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed and it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, to everything which moves on the earth, which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw that all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was morning, and there was evening on the sixth day. So when we think about the creation account, this is what John's readers would have readily accepted and had ready knowledge in their minds when he was speaking about how all things came into being. Because they believed in a six-day creation. The word in Genesis for a day is the Hebrew word yom, and it's translated day most of the times in the Old Testament. In fact, almost all the times I'll be ready to say. It means a 24-hour period. There's, and, and to make sure in Genesis that you understand it's a 24-hour period, Moses says what? He says morning and evening, right? It's repeated over and over and over. We're, having a, we're talking about a six-day creation. Now, John, when he says all things came into being, he emphasizes this in a positive and negative way. And he says, apart from him, apart from the word, nothing came into being that has come into being. Okay? He says, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being. You see, he emphasizes that in a positive and negative way. And in a positive way, when he says nothing came into being, he's talking about creation ex nihilo. Creation out of nothing. There's, he created all matter, all energy. We already know that God was in the beginning before all things. He didn't fashion something already preexistent. See, that's the key. And then nothing exists independently of God. Psalm 90 verse 2, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. John 17, 5, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So if God created all things out of nothing, and He did, then there was no big bang. There's only, what, a big God. There was no world. There was no, there's no universe until the Word spoke it into existence. See, it was the power of the Word that created everything. 
Romans 4.17 says that God gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. John Calvin, in his study on Genesis, he says that Satan endeavors by every possible method to take anything from Christ. And Satan has seceded in our world to, to deceive the minds of men so they do not give glory to Christ for the creation of the world and their very existence. And when it comes, John says, nothing came into being apart from him. Nothing. So everything, there's a, there's a purposeful plan of God. There's an intelligent design. God has put natural laws in effect, right? You throw a ball up, it comes down, right? There's gravity. We don't just fly off the earth into oblivion. There's a hydrologic cycle, right? The water, it rains, it, it evaporates, right? And you have that, that, that water cycle that we, we don't even think about. We just take it for granted, you see, it's intelligently designed. Most of you know that if the earth was, was a few kilometers, really, hundreds of kilometers in any direction, it would be lifeless. We'd be too cold or too hot. We spin at the perfect rate. The moon is the perfect distance from the earth, that, so it affects the earth with tidal forces, but yet doesn't destroy the earth. There's intelligent design. And now, Christ also, when everything came into being, He, he, he created a mat- fully mature universe. And this is a stumbling block for some people. Because he, but He created a fully mature universe. He created plants that were ready to eat. Right? He didn't plant, he, Adam and Eve didn't walk through the garden. There were little baby apple trees. These were fully mature trees. They could pick the fruit off and eat. He created fully mature animals, animals that were ready to reproduce. The old adage, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Well, the, the chicken did, right? Fully mature. Adam and Eve weren't babies. They were fully mature adults ready to reproduce. It was a mature universe. The light from the stars, that scientists tell us, that uh, takes millions of years to get here, the light was already here. The sun was already burning, Right? The moon was already there. It was fully mature, ready to go. When you also think about the fact that, that nothing came into being apart from Christ, we know that there, there have been no new kinds of life that have been created since the beginning. Right? We, now, there's, there's infinite diversity among life on this planet. And we're always finding new, new creatures that, that, either, uh, that are either fish or birds or plants or insects. We're always finding new types of the kinds that always exist. But we don't all of a sudden find some hybrid, what, half monkey, half man walking around. There's no new, new kinds. There have only been extinctions, in fact. I mean, I would love to see a, a um, Tasmanian tiger, wouldn't you? There's only been extinctions. But there's also no missing links. You see, when you create a mature universe, when you create a mature earth, there, there's no change over time. There's, there, there's no fossils. There's no missing links that, that show there's some connection between animals and man. In fact, every time 
Every time scientists, secular scientists, release a new paper about some supposed missing link, after a while you go and do the research and you realize that, oh, well, you know, it's, oh, well, actually it's a, it's a gorilla or it's a monkey or, or you know what, may, it's just an early man. Neanderthals is a great example how they differ from us. But one thing about us as humans, some of you may know this as you get older, you know, your, your forehead and your ears and your nose never stop growing, right? Some of you, that's not a good thing. Some of us, <laughs> as we get older, we have foreheads get bigger and our ears get bigger. So when you think about Neanderthals, I mean, if, if men and women were living five, six, seven hundred years, as Genesis says they were, then imagine, imagine Kenny's forehead. I'm just kidding, Kenny. <laughs> Kenny's over there smiling at me. Imagine, imagine, I won't use Kenny. Imagine mine. There we go. Imagine, imagine how big my forehead would be after 700 years, right? How big our ears would be, right? We'd, we would look vastly different. There's no missing links. And I think the thing, too, you have to think about when it, when it comes to, to everything came into being by Christ, man came into being. Man was created in God's image, right? He is not an animal. And that's one of the biggest lies in our society is that, that man is an animal, that we are bound to our impulses. A man's going to do what he's going to do. We're distinct from animals. We don't have any animal ancestry. Our ancestry can be traced back to Adam and Eve, and then Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We're not animals. When it comes to the difference between man and animals, we are created in the image of God. We have intelligence. We have will. We have creativity. We have a conscience. People talk about how smart dolphins are, but dolphins, if, a, if one of their babies are born deformed, they'll kill it, right? A grizzly bear male will kill his cubs and eat them if he's hungry without a thought in the world. About a twinge on, on his conscience. Ah, because he doesn't have a conscience. Animals act out of in- instinct, right? They, they may have trainable, uh, trainable measure of intelligence, but when they could, I was talking to Jordan about this a while back, a monkey cannot throw a ball and hit a target. Can, they can't train a monkey to, to throw a baseball or a, or a footy ball and hit a target. You can't do it. They've tried. There's creativity. I mean, you walk into any museum, in any part of the world, and you see just a wonderful beauty. You see, man is not an animal. So when you think about everything coming into being, you think about man, so, so what does that mean for us? If Jesus Christ created all things and specifically created man, then all life is precious because life comes from God. So unborn babies in the womb are precious, are far more precious than a dog or a cat. So in a sign on the way to Las Vegas, my wife and I were were driving for um, uh, my nephew's weightlifting championship. We saw a big sign and it said, said, uh, pets are people too. But that's the way that so many people in the world think. They think of their pets and their animals as, as basically... They're just fellow brothers and sisters in this life. Man has a soul that is eternal and animals do not. Okay? And God has also given us dominion, rule over these animals. 
The earth will be destroyed and recreated with the new heavens and a new earth. We're to be stewards of the world we live in. Right? There's nothing wrong with, with wanting to conserve and manage resources wisely. But to put this earth and creation over the, the needs of people, it's an unbiblical idea. God has given life. He's given man life in His image. And only government is allowed to take life. Right? God has... God has given the government the sword for justice reasons. We aren't allowed to take life, except during the specific conditions of self-defense. Life is precious. So, Jesus Christ, everything came into being. By the way, there's only one human race. How often our world emphasizes and tries to divide us along racial lines when, when race is a, is a secular and humanistic concept. The Bible says there's one race. We're all descendants. From whom? Adam and Eve. We're all descendants from Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, Noah's family. There's great diversity among us, right? depending on where we grew up and what part of the world we live in, different ethnicities, but there's only one human race. This, this great fallacy has caused so much pain and heartache among the world. It drove Hitler to, to destroy Jews, right, for, for no reason other than he looked at them as subhuman. And it, it caused so much in the Western world, so many in the Western world to look down upon other parts of the world and, and say that they're subhumans. I never forget this great, this scale, and you can look it up and you see it online, but I read it, I saw it in a history history book, and it had uh, the ideas of the day, uh, and Darwin himself was a proponent of this, and they, they had like the circle of, like in the evolution of man, and, and the, 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 the farther you got around this, this circle, you know, the, the more educated and Western you were. It's despicable. It's not biblical. Race is a, is a, is a secular idea. We, we talked about in James how we ought to show, show favoritism and partiality to others. But Jesus is, a, is he, everything came into being, or all things came into being through Him. So when you think about the, the count of creation that we just read, it is an exclusive account. It cannot be combined and, and with anything else. Because without creation, notice how many times that God said it was good, it was good, it was very good. It was perfect. It was without sin, without death, without corruption. If you have death, if you have corruption, then there's no fall. There's no temptation. There's no fall of man. It's at the fall of man, the point where, where sin enters the world. Right? If you say that, that the world evolved over time and God is some sort of, of watchmaker that winds up things and lets it go, then, then, then you have death. Corruption, sickness, as things evolve and they change over time. But God says that the world was created good and perfect. By the way, if man hasn't fallen into sin, then there's no need for a Savior. Right? Why did Jesus come to die if we weren't in our sins? And if there was death and there was corruption before the fall, then what is sin? Right? 
You see, there's a, what man constantly tries to do is he wants to come up with a, a naturalistic explanation for his origin, his condition, right? a way of salvation, and his ultimate destiny. And he wants to come up with this because explain his purpose, explain his place in the universe. But one, there's one thing they forget. Peter, Peter mentions this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. He says, Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. So they say everything's been the same. Right? It's uniform, uniformitarianism. But everything's just been kind of continuing as it has since the beginning of time. Right? And they say, well, well, when is Jesus coming back? Nothing's changed. But Peter says, verse 5, but they, when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. In other words, they, they, they failed to notice that there was a beginning point to history. And then he says, by his word, sorry, verse 6, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. They failed to notice there was a cataclysmic, cataclysmic event called the flood. But when it comes to men and women today, Romans 1, 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God has made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that men are without excuse. See, men suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They look at, and Paul continues, they, they look at a creation and instead of saying there's a creator who I'm responsible to, they say, no, there's no creator. Let's find a naturalistic explanation and then I'm not under his demands. I'm under his law. And instead, what do they do? They worship the creature rather than the creator. And their minds became darkened. My family and I went camping years ago, well, about four years ago, at the north rim of the Grand Canyon in the United States, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. It's just breathtaking. At, at its widest point, it is two, 29 kilometers wide. has a depth of 1,857 meters. And it's over 446 kilometers long. And when you look at this, you can't help but, at least if you're a Christian, you can't help but be, be awed. And you say, look at this that God has made. But yet, when you read the little plaques on the trail, they say that this was formed over millions and millions of years. Through, but we know that the Grand Canyon was formed through a cataclysmic event called Noah's Flood. They even go down and test the different rocks in the Grand Canyon, and they find that different sets of rocks all have different ages, and they, they can't really explain that. You see, John wants you and he wants to be really clear in who Jesus is. Not only is he the eternal word, but he is the creator of all things. 
everything came into being through Christ. Nothing was preexistent but God Himself. But not only is God, not only is Christ the mediator of creation, but look down in verses 4 and 5. He is life and light. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the life light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So when he says that in him was life, that he is the originator of life. You know, we can't really define life. I thought about this because I was going, I was like, oh, let me get a good definition of life. You look up in secular, secular books, and they don't really define life. They say life is a, you know, biological processes, it's a response to stimuli, but, but that's not describing what life is, that's describing what life does, Right? Well, the biblical account really doesn't get get any more specific other than the fact that God Himself brings life, right? He's the originator of life. In other words, there's no pre-existent soul, right? We weren't all just hanging out somewhere, right? God created us, and God created the soul. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.13, he says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. And then you have Nehemiah's great confession in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens the heaven of hosts, excuse me, the, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts and the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, you give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. See, God alone gives life. And the sad thing is, in our culture, we live in a culture where movies and TV, they, they, they can desensitize us to death and destruction and pain, and violence. But all life comes from Christ and should be protected. Animal life should be stewarded, conserved. Teach my son that it's okay to to hunt. Sorry, I come from the South, we hunt. We hunt, but we hunt for food, not for fun. But the human soul is eternal and should be protected. We think too little when it comes of of the value of life that we want to end life early. Or we want to terminate life at the beginning, in the womb. The word for life, by the way, is Zoe. And I know the Slatteries knew this when they they picked that name, Zoe. But but really in the Greek, there's two words for life. There's, there's, There's Zoe... And there's bios. Bios, we get biology. Bios means just the, the, the biological life, where zoe means the, the essence or the reality of life. It has to do with having a soul. Because life cannot be quantified by science. It can't be tied to DNA. Life itself comes from God. In Christ, there is biological life and there is spiritual life. And that spiritual life, that soul that God has created in you is eternal. You will spend eternity somewhere, either with Christ in His presence or in hell, a place that's prepared for Satan and his demons. 
kind of like the Frankenstein. You, ever, you guys have read Frankenstein or you've seen the movies about Frankenstein and, and, the, and the attempts to, you know, by, by a scientist to piece together a, a corpse and have somehow used electricity to, to reanimate that. Do you know that that was actually a, a belief in England at the time? We read it and without context, it seems like a, a, just a far, farcical story. But in the 1800s, there was a lot of scientists that believed that, that life was bound up in electricity. And if you could use electricity in the right proportions, in the right amounts, that, that you could reanimate, die, uh, reanimate uh, tissue that had died and you could, you could bring life back to something that was deceased. And we all kind of laugh at that now. You see, life comes from Christ. We can't, we can't make new life. We can't, we can't make something alive that is dead. Life comes from Christ. But not only is He the originator or the origin of life, He's the sustainer of life. Colossians 1.17 says that He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. Hebrews 1.3, and He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and He, what, and he upholds all things by the word of His power. He sustains all things. Because not only does He give life, He sustains life because in Christ is life. After all, He says, I am the life. Without Christ, by the way, no life would exist. And all life would cease to exist. He's also gives, he also gives eternal life. 1 John chapter 1 Jesus, or sorry, John actually echoes some of his sentiments in his epistle when he speaks about Jesus. And he says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, concerning what? The word of life. And the life was manifested and we have seen and we testify and we proclaim to you what the eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us. The eternal life. Eternal life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and I'm the life. The life. You see, we all have an eternal soul. But apart from Jesus Christ, our eternal destiny is insecure. So Jesus is the originator of life, He's the sustainer of life, and He is eternal life. But not only that, He is light. He says, in Him was life, and life was the light of men. And John uses these, these compatibly. They're almost synonyms. The light, that there's a connection. The Word brings light to a dark world. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John 3, most of you know John 3, 16. But John 3, 18, He who believes in Him is not judged, but he he who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world And men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth 
comes into the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought by God. You see, when he comes to darkness, the world we live in is dark. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 said that the God of this age, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Darkness is that, is that fallenness of mankind and it's the, it's the satanity, satanically controlled world we live in. John says in 1 John chapter 5 that's, that the world lies in the power of the evil one. So you combine a satanic darkness, you combine a, a, a satanic blinding with the, the depravity of man and, and men lie in darkness. Romans chapter 1 says that, that, that men, when they rejected God, they were darkened in their understanding. But John says, look, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The word there, comprehend, in the Greek, it's katalambano. It can, it can really have two meanings, and you'll see this in different translations. Some will say comprehend, and some will say overcome. But it's kind of like our English word grasp, right? Grasp can be used, uh, I grasp, I understand that concept. Or what else? I, I hold to something, I grasp. So that's kind of the idea there where it has a, a double meaning. So when, in the sense that, that it can, uh, it's in the sense of understanding, men suppress the truth. They will not accept the truth. They, won't, they can't understand it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says this, The natural man will not understand the things of the Spirit of God, for they are things that are spiritually appraised, and he will not accept those things. But also, the darkness seeks to overcome the light. Satan has schemed and continues to scheme to overwhelm and overcome the light. He schemed to stop the, the messianic line throughout the, throughout the Old Testament. He schemed up, up until, he schemed when Jesus was born and Herod's attack on the babies and the children of Bethlehem. And he schemed even until the cross. Satan schemes now to, to destroy the light in this world and that's who? Us. Peter said he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And don't, and don't think that you aren't on the menu. You see, the darkness is the world we live in. The dark minds of men and the dark power of Satan. But guess what? Colossians 1.13 For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You see, Christ is light. It takes the smallest ray of light to pierce the darkness. I can tell you going camping and, and being pitch black in the tent and not used to that darkness. One small little light will pierce that darkness. See, the world we live in is, is in the power of the evil one. It rests in darkness. It's satanically controlled by the God of this age. He's the ruler of the world. He blinds men's mind to the truth. So they don't accept the reality of their condition and their need for Jesus Christ. Added to that condition, men are in their depravity with their darkened minds and darkened hearts. They are unwilling to consider the light as truth and they reject the light. They love the darkness. They love their sin. See, Christ is light, but the darkness can't and will not overcome the light. Jesus is the light of the world. 
And when Satan thought he had won, we know the end of the story, right? Jesus died on the cross. Satan thought he had won, but Jesus rose again on the third day and ascended to the Father, and he will return in glory. Revelation says there will, be need, there will be no moon, there will be no sun, for Jesus Christ, his light will be the light that will light the whole universe. But we live in a world that's opposed to the will of God. Yet, even though this darkness is powerful, it's not equal to the light. There's no yin, there's no yang when it comes to God and Satan, when it comes to the light and darkness. Christ's victory is already won. He has defeated the powers of darkness, and we await His return. The life and light will return, and Satan knows his time is short. John declares to us the eternal word. He declares the word that was with God in the beginning, and he declares to us that he is the creator of all things. Nothing that exists, exists without him. He is the author and sustainer of life and gives eternal life to all who believe in him. I say to you, John chapter 8, 24, Jesus says, I say to you, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. Do you believe that Jesus is the eternal God? Do you believe that he's the creator of all things? If you do not, then you will die in your sins. And they will face eternal judgment away from God's blessing, his glory, and hell forever. You don't want to do this. You don't want to die in your sins. Do you believe that Jesus Christ, King, he died for your sins? Do you believe that he rose again on the third day, ascended to the Father, returned in glory? That's what John is saying for here. He wants you to believe. If you do believe, then rejoice. Rejoice knowing that God created all things. He created you. And if He created you, and He saved you, He has a purpose. And that purpose is to see you conform to the image of Christ. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we can see John's declarations about Jesus Christ, that He is the eternal Word of God, that He was there in the beginning, that all things were created by Him and through Him, Jesus Christ is the light and life. He's the source of all life. He's the light into a dark world. Lord, I don't know the hearts of everyone here, but you do. And I pray that, Lord, if there's those that don't know you, that are present today, that you would convict them in regards to their sin, their lack of righteousness and standing before you, and ultimately the future judgment that awaits them. We all have an eternal soul, and we will spend eternity somewhere. Lord, I pray for those that know you, that we would live our lives in light of the truths that we've heard this morning, that we would not fall into the deception of this world, that we would remember that everything we see is from your hand, that life is precious. Pray that you would give us a burden for those around us, that we may share the, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we would be salt and light in this dark world. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We just praise your name. Amen.